This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. And first up is Rory. And he's got, like, uh, uh, one of the reasons we chose this talk is we, we kind of know about learnability, but I've never heard of anybody <laughs> yeah. actually figuring out and testing for it deliberately and really thinking it through. And I'm like, I totally want to hear that. So thank you very much, Rory. Cool. I'm, I'm on? Cool. Hi, everybody. My name is Rory Horn, and, yeah, I... Uh, totally agree with what that introduction was about how there's this concept of learnability that's, that's absolutely out there, but people, I feel, don't really have a strong grip on it and particularly how to measure it and test for learnability. I um, kind of stumbled in, into it myself and was lucky enough to have a few practical goes at, at actually measuring it, so that's what I will be talking about today. So let's start with what is learnability? I'm going to take a, an educated guess here and assume that, that everyone has an idea of what usability actually is. Uh, if you don't, that's totally fine. This is a great place to learn about usability. But learnability is actually a really big component of usability. And without a learnable product, s service, or interface, you're not going to have a usable interface, product, or service. But, so, learnability can really be uh, described as the ease with which a person can come to grips and understand a process within a product or service. But it doesn't stop there, and I think that that's where the confusion really comes in. So, within learnability, there is discoverability. So, that's that, that very first, in, that first in introduction to what the process is that you have to learn to use. So can a person easily and almost immediately learn on that first use what they need to do to achieve their goal? But it builds from there into memorability. So that is that idea of once you've discovered what you need to do or part of what you need to do to complete your goal, can, can you then leave that process and return to it later and recall and remember what you discovered last time, reapply it and repeat that, that goal? And these two work really well together. If you have a discoverable product or service, a discoverable process, you will pro probably have a memorable process. And if you've got a memorable process, there is less cognitive load on your users, so therefore they can discover more with those repeated uses, making a more usable product or service overall. But another important aspect of learnability is actually measuring it, and that's where the learning curve comes in. So when I say learning curve, you probably think of a steep learning curve. And if you think of a steep learning curve, you probably think of something like this, or even something like this. Right? So I have a background in engineering and statistics and a bit of psychology, so I like graphs and I like numbers, 
And these are, these are not really graphs, you know, like, first of all, they don't have labeled axes or a title. Um, but they're fantastic metaphors. And what the idea of a steep learning curve really, really emphasizes is this idea of a thing starting out easy to learn and then it gets more difficult. But that's not what we want to measure. What we are interested in is this. Time taken to complete a task, so quite a specific task within a process, and the attempts at that task. So, for example, if you have your, your iPhone and you download a brand new app, and that app's got a very specific goal with it that you want to achieve, and you have your first, first attempt at completing that goal, it might take you a long time. That, that app, that, that task is not very discoverable. But then you leave it, you relax a bit because you're frustrated now, and you go back later and you have attempt two, and that attempt's quicker because you can remember what you did last time. Things are speeding up a bit. You're, you're learning, which is great. And then third attempt, quicker still. Fourth attempt, pretty fast now. You can recall really well what you need to do. And obviously, you can see that these dots line up coincidentally to make a really nice learning curve. So that's, that's the, that, for me, is the, the, uh, the really useful part of measuring learnability, this really nice visual graph of improvement over time. But let's talk about the, the, the specific steps involved with, with doing a learning curve test. It's pretty, pretty straightforward, actually. There's really only two steps. The first one is do a usability test. Again, I'm hoping that people here are a bit familiar with what user, usability testing is. Um, if not, again, that's totally fine. In a nutshell, it's effectively getting a person or some people to have a go at using your product or service and then getting some useful information out of that by observing them and talking with them afterwards. And, and that's, that's effectively it. You're looking to get useful information from people about your, your thing. Step two is repeat step one until you run out of time and or money. So the real uh, catch here is that it is just a number of, us of usability tests repeated and you're getting information that is comparable between each usability test. However, it's not quite that easy because each test needs to be really consistent. So, so that, 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 that is the real catch, that you need to do the same test with the same participants collecting the same measures. So that way you get a really nice, crisp, and clear comparison with the only change ideally being the, in, the information just on, on, on that graph. So, so, specifically, what do I mean by a usability test for learning curve? And within that, what are the measures that we're really after? So, first of all, the qualitative measures. The outcomes you're after are ideally pain points and workarounds. You can collect a lot of, of other things, but pain points and workarounds really shine for learning curve testing. That is because they change with experience and, and learning, right? So if you've got a, a, your, your app on, on your phone that was really frust hard and took a long time that first attempt, and then the reason for that might be a great big pain point that you couldn't 
get through. And that took a long time, but you, you worked it out, and then the next time it was quicker and quicker and quicker as you learned to get over that. But equally, you could find that there's a very small pain point early on that doesn't seem like a big deal. But as time, de time decreases with attempts, that pain point comparatively is taking a longer time compared to the, the, the total time spent. And that pain point will then grow in frustration. So, that, so they, they, they change with learning. Equally, workarounds tend to appear later on once people have mastery over the process. They're looking to, to speed up even, even more. So you can't rely on just that first, you, that first test every time. Um, and you get these predominantly from observation and some interviewing at the end. You don't want to be interrupting uh, your users while they're attempting the task, because that'll totally change the time it takes and uh, uh, what they're thinking about and, and everything like that. So next, of course, is quantitative measures. These are arguably the most important thing about the learning curve test because that's what goes on, on the graph, right? So the first one is time to complete the task. That literally is what is, is on the graph and indicates generally how difficult it is. I mean, it's not a perfect indicator, but if a thing is hard to do, it will, pro it will probably take a longer time. And if it's easier, it'll probably be quicker. And I've got other in inverted commas because that can really mean anything that you're able to quantify uh, and, and then compare over multiple attempts. And I've got some good examples of, of other later on. So let's have a look at uh, how I've, I've applied learning curve um, analysis in my short career. Uh, the first of all is a wheelchair user interface. So, so this is actually uh, a small part of my master's project, which I completed about three years ago now. And the question was, is the user interface usable for people with the differing levels of ability? You can uh, see here the, the interface that I'm talking about. It's a controller. Uh, it was, I think the, the design might actually be older than me. Um, and over the years, the only up updates have really been on the graphics. There's been no real change to the actual uh, the underlying architecture. Uh, so it was quite, quite a privileged and uh, unique experience to actually go out and see users use this product, which has been in the marketplace for, for quite a while. Um, to begin a test, you need a, a game plan, and the first part of the game plan is to find participants. So I managed to recruit about 40 people in total, and they were split into three groups. The first group was under 35 years old without a disability. Group two, over 50 years without disability. And group three, also over 50 years with a disability. So for convenience, we will refer to these groups as blue, red, and green. Next of all, you need the tasks. And for me, I had three tasks. These were adjusting chair height, turning the lights on on the chair, and turning the clock on the chair on and then off again. And each participant had four attempts at each task. 
And finally, the actual equipment you need. And for me, it was, it was this. This is the uh, kind of thing you learn to build with a four-year degree in mechanical engineering. <laughs> On to the results for the first, first task, adjusting the chair. We have group one. You can see that, that they begin quite, quite strongly, taking just under a minute, and then speed up and plateau. So a flat-ish learning curve there. Group two, over 50-plus, uh, beginning comparatively slower, but catching up pretty fast with a really, really nice learning curve. Um, and then group three, with disabilities, comparable to that second group early on, but then just, just not quite closing that gap, but, but a good curve still. Task two, turning the lights on. Group one, pretty quick off the, off the bat and very, very flat. So not a huge amount of improvement, but they began really strongly. Um, group two, slower at the start, but again, catching up very, very fast. Getting a pretty flat curve there as well. And then group three, again, comparable, but that end attempt just, just a bit slower. And then the third task, you might have guessed already this, this was a bit more complex. You can tell by the 10 at the top, not the 5-4 time taken. Group 1, slower than usual, but getting really quick, really fast. Uh, nice curve there. Group 2, again, slower at the start, but the gap closes very, very fast and a great curve, you know. And then the third group, quite a linear uh, line here, but and comparable results at the start and the end. However, by this point, that third group, participants had dropped off due to inability to complete the task, so it's not a great representation, which is why it's not a nice curve, per se. Um, and then here we have my, my other, which was a usability score. So for this, I use the SUS, System Usability Scale, uh, which is a great tool. I don't know how many people are familiar with it, but effectively it's a pretty quick 10-question survey answered on one to five um, Likert scale, uh, and you do a bit of maths on it, and then you get a score out of 100 for how usable your, uh, your, your thing is, your interface. Um, and what you're looking for is a score of about 68. That's the average, apparently, and if you're getting above that, you're good, below... Not, not so great, and already for the best, best performing group, we've only got a score of about 50 here. Uh, the next group, so that's the 50 plus years old, scoring 30. So uh, this represents their opinion of how usable this, this controller is. And then the third group, quite, in, quite interesting, so this is the lowest performing group, gives a score between those other, other two groups. So here we can really see this, this idea of um, reported information versus actual observed information. Uh, to me, what jumps out is that third group, despite them being the lowest performing, are not giving a usability score corresponding to that. And this is, of course, because everyone lies. They don't mean, mean to lie. They just want to be nice. But people, unfortunately, you know, lie. And... To get at, at the real truth, you do have to actually observe people doing the stuff rather than just talking to them afterwards. And the other quite interesting aspect is that the, there's a big change between that blue group and the red group. So if you can recall, 
uh, almost every task, the, the, the red group caught up to the blue group performance-wise by attempt four at the latest. They were basically spot on, but quite a big gap performance-wise on that first attempt. So that really emphasizes, I think, that if you have a bad first, first, uh, first impression, that will really last the entire way through, even if effectively you, you are a good performer on, or your, sorry, your, your interface is performing well. So let's look at case study number two. Um, this is uh, an excavator configuration. So the question is, can somebody configure an excavator in under 40 minutes? The idea behind this is that when you go down, down, go down to your local excavator shop, which I'm sure we all, all, all have at least once in our lives, and you buy your 100-ton excavator, you can also buy a computer that plugs in, right? And this computer is quite, quite powerful. It talks to GPS, and it can, in real time, know exactly where your excavator is and how it's, it, 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 it's moving down to millimeter accuracy. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, quite, quite expensive as well. And... Um, Normally, it takes the first time you uh, purchase it and plug it in, it takes a good half a day at least to work out where it's moving and how it all works. Uh, but our goal was to bring that time down to about 40 minutes uh, with some new tech and some new processes to help guide people through. The, the game plan was part, part, uh, the participant was first, and for me, I had this guy. Very, very enthusiastic. Uh, James, the novice. Sometimes you just have to work with what you've got. It's always good to <laughs> get more than one participant, but, you know, time and money and all that. Um, next of all, the tasks. So James had to, of course, configure the excavator, and he had four, four attempts to do that. And in that configuration process, there were six, six parts to it. So the equipment is, of course, one great big excavator with a computer. The results. So attempt one for James. You can see he, he, did, it, he did actually pretty well for a complete, complete novice. Um, and you can see the, the time taken for the individual parts of, 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 of that attempt with the different colors there. Attempt two, getting quicker, uh, and what's quite interesting to note is the fluctuation between those parts. So a couple did actually increase in time, while, but overall it, it did decrease. Then attempt two, getting pretty fast now. Sorry, this is three, getting pretty quick now. One interesting thing to note here is the extra blue part at, at the bottom there. That is a workaround James introduced with the hope it would speed things up. Uh, and then attempt four, he removed that workaround uh, because it didn't really fit and didn't re really speed things up that much. I also measured frustration. This was done just on, a, again, a one to five score, five being very, very frustrated, asking James after each part how frustrated he was. And you can see up here the averages. Um, beginning, you know, reasonable frustration, and then it dips down and plateaus out, slight, slight change there from 1.8 up slightly to, to a 2. That, that, I think, is just, just noise more than anything else, but it does kind of emphasize that frustration is relative to what you did before and 
what you think you'll do kind of now. Um, and then, of course, each, each part had its own score as well. So you can see here the most frustrating parts, which s s scored a four or more. And what this tells me is that orange and purple really need some attention. They are getting the most frustration. The other scores were threes for them, I think. Um, and they're also tending to take the longest time with, uh, yeah. So ultimately, though, we, we got pretty close to our 40, 40 minutes, not quite there. But again, I'd like to, to emphasize that with any usability test, um, it's, it is only a representation. And in particular here, I only had one person, and he was a novice. So you would think that with more people and perhaps more attempts, you would be getting pretty close to that 40-minute line. However, even with one person, it does already emphasize which, which specific parts need attention. And more importantly, overall, how, how is it, it uh, performing over time? So that brings me to the end of my presentation. Thank you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.